My name's Bates, by the way, if you don't know me. Uh, welcome this morning. I'm married to Jen, and uh, we've got a little boy, Sammy. I'm on the eldership team, and it's just a joy uh, to be part of this church. I'm going to pray for myself, and we're going to get cracking. Thank you, Father, that you're good, that you're here with us right now. That we can know you, we can experience you, we can be filled by you, we can be led by you. So would you speak this morning and help us to hear and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool, guys. So we're going to start with a really important question this morning, um, and it's a would-you-rather question. Does anyone know any good would-you-rather questions? Okay, so this is really important. I need you to, you got to cho- choose, okay? Would you rather be trapped in a steers for a week or in a debonairs for a week? Okay, everyone knows steers and debonairs? It's a hard choice, I know. Okay, who would rather be st- trapped in a debonairs for a week? Anybody? Okay, sure. Not that popular. Maybe that's why they're struggling. Steers for a week. Yes, good choice. Good right choice. I'll tell you why that's the right choice, because Debonair's doesn't have dessert. Steers does, so that's why it's a very important choice. Who likes to be encouraged? Anybody? Anybody like to be encouraged? Someone comes up to you and shares something encouraging with you. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? And so I'm really hoping that this morning's uh, message would be an encouragement to each of us as we start out this year. It would be something that kind of uh, rejuvenates us and encourages us and inspires us uh, for the year ahead. So Paul spoke um, amazingly last week. If you weren't here, if you were still gallivanting on holiday or doing whatever you were doing, uh, you want to go and listen to that. It's on a podcast, also on our website. He spoke about a wise and a foolish builder, and how we live wise lives or how we live foolish lives, how we either build on Jesus as wise people or on anything else as foolish people. So I want to encourage you to go give that a listen. But this morning, I'm going to be building on that. Did you get that? Sure, you guys, eh? Got to work hard this morning. I'm going to be building on that, um, (laughs) on how it's even possible to live a wise life or to live for Jesus, to build our lives on the rock that is Jesus, because it's hard, right? We are so fallible, we are so weak, we are so overwhelmed by life. So how do we even live as wise people in this world? So I want, to take it, uh, want you to take a moment now just to think in your minds of a really memorable or really significant moment in your lives. I know what the Craddock's one's going to be, but can you think of a really significant or really memorable moment in your life? Just take a moment. Maybe a few jump to mind. Maybe it's when your dad first said to you that he's proud of you. Maybe it's when he graduated uh, from high school. Maybe it's when your child walk down the aisle, depending on how old you are, or your child took their first steps. Maybe it's when you got your first job. Or maybe it's something really miraculous that happened in your life, something you can't really explain outside of the extraordinary intervening in your life. Or maybe it's when you became a follower of Jesus. I'll tell you two of the most significant moments in my life that happened in my journey of following Jesus. The first one was April 2005, when I became a follower of Jesus, when I said yes to his invite for me to become a child of God, for me to be reconciled to God, to come into right relationship with him. And the second one was this. I heard a, a sermon in 2008, and I actually listened to it and did what it said. <laughs> and this is what the preacher was encouraging us to do. He said, pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. 
And he said, pray that prayer daily. And I've been praying that prayer daily since then. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. A really simple little daily prayer to pray. But I'm hoping that this simple daily prayer, as I unpack it a bit for us this morning, will be a huge encouragement and a life-giving habit for each one of us today, for this year, and for the rest of our days. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. And so I want to look at this prayer in two parts this morning. Firstly, the first part, Holy Spirit, and then the second part, uh, fill me and lead me. And so the question we need to ask is, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. Simple prayers, just a few words. Why on earth would we even pray a prayer like this? What's the point in praying a prayer like this? Where, how will it even help? And so the question is, it'll only help if the one whom we're praying to can truly help us. And so we want to look at who is the Holy Spirit. And when we get a little bit of who he is and what he does, we realize that this prayer makes much more sense to pray. And so who's the Holy Spirit? He's been thought of a lot in uh, modern kind of circles as kind of the illegitimate child of the Godhead. You know, it's like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's kind of, you know, he's a little bit on the sides. It's like God, Father, I get that. God, like even if we don't follow Jesus, we kind of get the idea of God. If we're in trouble, we're going to pray. If we know God or not, we're still going to pray to God or some kind of God. God, that idea, we, we kind of get God the Father. God the Son, we sort of get as well. It's like Jesus came to earth. If you know any Christians, they just talk about Jesus all the time. They want to be like Jesus. Jesus this, Jesus that. He's amazing. We kind of get that. But Holy Spirit, when we speak about God the Holy Spirit, it's like we're a little bit shy sometimes. We're a little bit shy. We, we're suspicious often and confused. And depending on where you're raised, where you're brought up, what your family was like, what Christians or churches you've had exposure to, or even what experiences you have, you might be even more skeptical or more suspicious or more confused when we hear the words Holy Spirit. And it's really unfortunate. And my read is that's largely the case because of humans doing what we do best. And using the name of God and using God and manipulating people in his name to get what we want. And a lot of men, unfortunately, and women have done that through the ages. They've used God, the Holy Spirit, for their own ends and for their own means. And they've also narrowed him down to a box in the way that he can operate or work. And often it's very weird, if we're honest. And that's very unfortunate. And I don't think it should be that way. And I don't think it has to be that way. It's an unfortunate state of affairs. And I think it's robbing us of the joy, if you're a Christ follower, of the joy and the love and the peace of God that we can experience through his Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what he has planned for us. And so if you're sitting here thinking, I'm going to do a huge kind of exposition on God the Holy Spirit right now, we'd be here all day, right? So we don't have time to do that. We will do that in the future, in future sermon series. But if I had to go through every reference to the Holy Spirit in the Bible, we would truly be here all day. So for the sake of this morning and kind of figuring out who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, we're going to look at one of the modern old guys of the faith, I would call him. His name is J.I. Packer. He's a theologian from Canada, and he's going to talk to us about who the Holy Spirit is in a moment on a video. Um, he's quite an old guy. He's got this funny accent, Canadian-British, and he mumbles a little bit, so please listen carefully because what he has to say is profound. It is a fact that people don't take the Holy Spirit seriously. And I think that the fundamental reason is that they don't think of him as a person. The name Holy Spirit doesn't immediately tell you that this is a divine person. 
In fact, the Bible is very clear. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the three persons who live, if I can put it that way, in the unity of the Trinity. And each is as truly personal as the other two. Once people are clear on that, then the next thing to tell them is, do you realize that the Holy Spirit is sent by the Lord Jesus to carry on his work of making disciples? How does the Spirit do that? Well, by helping people understand the teaching of Jesus, making them aware of the reality of Jesus, actually confronting them and inviting them to himself. And then the Holy Spirit allures them, I should use that word advisedly, allures them to Jesus. The Spirit makes them realize Jesus is wonderfully loving, wonderfully holy, wonderfully upright and glorious as a model of human life. The Lord Jesus shows us what human life ought to be, and he offers himself to us all as a savior who will transform us into his own image. How will that happen? Through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Now, once the Holy Spirit has established the link between us and Christ, he keeps out of sight. I sometimes say that the Holy Spirit is shy. He is fulfilling his ministry, all right, but his ministry is to point us to Christ the whole time. And you are enjoying the ministry of the Holy Spirit when you are aware of Christ the whole time. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will lead you into that life in which you are close to Christ the whole time. That will bring joy to the heart of the Holy Spirit, who has made it happen, just as it will bring joy to the heart of Christ himself, who will embrace you in his love. So do take the Holy Spirit seriously and open yourself to having him point you to the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, your Master, and your friend. Wonderful. Wonderful. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's a person. And he's with us. We don't have to do this life alone. You can agree with me, life is tough. Like there's confusion, there's all sorts of stuff that happens in life. And as we live longer, we realize more and more, it's not great to do life alone. But we don't have to because we have God, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit with us if we're Christ followers. And so why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? Just as Packer said there, to continue Jesus' work here on earth. That's what the Holy Spirit does today and what he's always done since he was sent by Jesus. He does three primary things. He works in bringing people to Jesus. He works in growing people in Jesus, those who follow him, and he works in encouraging those who follow Jesus to share the good news about him. So he brings people to Jesus, he grows them in Jesus, and he helps those who follow Jesus to share the good news about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all about pointing people and pointing everything to Christ. And so that's 
what he does. And so when we pray this prayer that I mentioned earlier, this simple prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me, we're praying and we're asking for a a few things. And here may be a few of them. If you're not a Christ follower this morning and you pray that prayer, you're asking the Holy Spirit to show you who Jesus truly is. You're asking him to give you the faith to trust in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And you're also asking him to help you become a follower of Jesus. If you are a Christ follower here this morning and you pray that prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me, what are you asking for? You're asking for the Holy Spirit to empower you to actually obey Jesus. You're asking him to fill your heart with love for Jesus. You're asking him to help you live a life that brings glory to God. You're asking him to help, to help you and to strengthen you and to give you boldness to share the good news of Jesus with our friends and our family, our work colleagues and all those around us. And so that's some of the stuff we pray. If we pray that prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. And so I hope this section kind of helps us a little bit get on the same page of who the Holy Spirit is as we start our prayer, at least in a tiny little part. But anyway, we're sort of on the same page, I hope, around who the Holy Spirit is. And so let's move on to the second part of that prayer. Fill me and lead me. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. What does that even look like? What does it look like to be filled by and led by the Spirit every day? And so just a disclaimer as I start, I've leaned quite heavily on a guy called Andrew Wilson for this section of my sermon. He's an incredible guy. Uh, One of his sermons deeply impacted me last year. It's called Be Filled by the Spirit. And I would highly recommend you give it a listen. And so our main portion of scripture for this morning is from Ephesians. A book in the New Testament written by a guy called Paul. Uh, He was one of the first uh, early and most um, um, well-known followers of Jesus. And he was writing to a group of Christians. It's in Ephesians 5. Uh, I'd love it if you could turn there in your your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen for you. It's in Ephesians 5 and it's verse 15 to 20. So Paul's writing to this group of Christians. And he's encouraging them and he's instructing them, at least in this section and a little bit before and after, on how to actually live as Christians. That's what he's doing. So this is the context into which we get this little portion of Scripture, which we're going to focus on this morning. And here it is. I'm going to read it for us. You can follow it in your Bibles or on the screen there. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Remind you of last week's sermon. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Here's our key verse for this morning. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You get that? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing, uh, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this passage contains three things you should do, three things you shouldn't do, then a fourth you should do, and then three things that play out from that. So it's very simple, right? <laughs> Three things you shouldn't do, three things you should, a fourth you should, and then three things that play out from that. And we're going to go through that this morning, and so follow along with me. Just a key little note as we get stuck in there. Did anyone notice the little reference to the Trinity there, 18, 19, 20? 
Holy Spirit, God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Just wanted to throw it in there as a little note. Don't know if that's helpful or not, but anyway. So we go. Cool. We're going to look at verse 15 to 17 to start out with. I'm going to read it again. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So a summary of these verses. Be very careful how you live. Do not be unwise. Make the most of every opportunity. Do not be foolish. Understand the will of God. Two don'ts, three do's. And I think we'll agree that everything in our world wills us and causes us to live foolish lives. And so this is why Paul writes to the Ephesians. He knows that everything around them is going to be pushing them towards living lives that do not focus on God, that are not built on Jesus and his word. And so he's saying, do not be unwise, do not be foolish, be careful, make every use of every opportunity and understand the will of God. God's will is perfectly wise all the time. God's wisdom for us looks like this, praying, thinking, taking time, considering the situation, taking the long view, considering the end from the beginning, looking at the whole as well as the parts. God's will and his way are perfectly wise every time in every single situation. And so that's how this portion starts out. And then we move on to verse 18. It says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so here's our central verse for this morning. I'm going to be spending a bit of time here, especially on that phrase, be filled with the Spirit. Considering that we, we're trying to figure out what it means when we pray, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. And so up to this point in Ephesians, if you go and read it, Ephesians 5, there's been a lot of instructions. If you're a Christ follower, a lot of instructions, a lot of do's, a lot of don'ts. And to be honest, it seems really hard, almost impossible to fulfill those without external help, without something or someone helping us do it. And then comes along this verse, verse 18, which is a hope-filled, I think, hope-filled command for us to obey, but it is a bit of an odd one. And why I think it's an odd one is because it's a passive verb. How does one obey a passive verb? Be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so here's an example of passive verb, if your English is failing you in this moment, your high school English. A passive verb, if I said, phone your mom, you would know what to do, right? Pick up a phone and phone your mom. If I said, be phoned by your mom, what would you do? Not quite sure. That's a passive verb. Okay. So how do we obey a passive verb? How do we do something that causes something to be done to us? And I think the question that, that we need to think about in this moment is, is be filled with the Spirit an experience that we need to have, or is it a habit that we need to cultivate? And we'll, I'll dig into that in a moment. But is it an experience we need to have, or is it a habit we need to cultivate? Which is it? How do we obey this? Is it something I do or is it something that's done to me? And I'm going to attempt, us, <laughs> attempt this morning to help us with that as we try and figure out what it means when we pray, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. And so this verse, verse 18, is it on the screen there? 
starts with some strong imagery, right? And I love that God puts imagery and metaphors and stuff like this in Scripture so we can actually understand what it's trying to say to us. Um, And it starts with a strong imagery about getting drunk, getting drunk on wine. And so being filled with the Spirit doesn't look like getting drunk on wine. It doesn't look like stumbling around and vomiting. Excuse the word. That's not what being filled with the Spirit looks like. Although being filled with the Spirit does produce great joy and great excitement and great happiness, it doesn't lead to regret and chaos and debauchery. And so being filled with the Spirit is not, doesn't look like being drunk with wine. It's like it in some ways, but it doesn't look like it. And unfortunately, some people in some circles have taken that quite far to excuse all kinds and manners of very weird and strange behavior. And so we need to see these parallels in Scripture, and we need to, u- and we need to um, um, use them, but don't push them too far. And so what I think this Scripture is really saying is speaking about more being under the influence of the Spirit. If someone's drunk, we say they're under the influence of alcohol, right? And so this scripture is talking about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you've seen drunk people walking around, they are controlled by those chemicals that are in their body, just making bad decisions, doing all sorts of crazy things. This is talking about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. The very first disciples of Jesus, 50 days after he sends back to the Father, they experience an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And their behavior is such that people around them think that they are drunk. They are behaving differently. There's an experiential element to being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's, it's experiential language that is used for us here, and we, we, we ought not to look away from that or look down on that. The Holy Spirit, when He fills us, something will happen and change. It doesn't mean we go crazy and weird and wild, but something will change, and people will notice. Another image that the Bible uses is being baptized or drenched or saturated in the Holy Spirit. And so I remember last year we, um, we baptized Fritz up in the dam at Kutzenberg. I remember he went down water baptized and he got water baptized. He came out, we gathered around to pray and he was standing there dripping with water and cold. He had been drenched in the waters and we knew about it. It was very experiential and the Bible is helpful to us in giving us this imagery and language. We don't need to shy away from the fact that when God moves by his spirit in our lives, something will happen and there will be an experiential element to it. And so this is speaking of being influenced by him, controlled by him, saturated by the Holy Spirit. It's not just this passive thing. It's a thing of pursuing God and pursuing the Holy Spirit, not just waiting forever, but there's an activeness. So being filled by the Spirit is both an experience to be had and a habit to be cultivated. And we're going to get to that in a moment. First, some imagery that really impacted me last year when I heard the sermon from Andrew Wilson And I want us to have a look at it on the screen here. When we think about being filled by the Holy Spirit, I imagine this is what comes to mind. Something like that, right? It's probably a liquid type image that comes to mind, an hydraulic image, maybe like a glass being filled with water. But that's not what it is. Because that's not what the scriptures say. It's actually more of a pneumatic idea, like a wind idea or an air or a gas thing. The word Holy Spirit or spirit in the Greek and in the Hebrew, is the same word as wind or breath or spirit. It's the same word. And so it's actually a pneumatic thing, not a hydraulic thing filling a glass because it's like, Holy Spirit, fill me. Okay, the glass is full, now what? (laughs) No, no, no. 
It's more like this image being filled with the Spirit. It's more like sailing. The power of the wind filling the rightly positioned sails of the sailing boat as it cruises along in the water. That's what being filled by the Spirit looked like. It's a pneumatic idea, and I found this extremely helpful, this imagery, in trying to understand what it means to be filled by and led by the Spirit. The boat doesn't go anywhere. That boat, little dinghy, doesn't go anywhere unless it is filled by the power of the wind. It also doesn't go anywhere if the sailor doesn't do his job in rightly positioning his sail. And so you see there's an experience of the power of the wind, just like we had this morning and last night and the past few days, beautifully displayed for us. The power of the wind can wreak such havoc. But in a sailing boat, it actually helps it to fulfill its purpose and to go in a very specific direction. But it requires some work from the sailor to get that, that sail right, but it's never going anywhere unless there's the power of the wind blowing that sailing boat in the right direction. And so being filled by the Spirit is an experience to be had as well as habit to be cultivated. Andrew Wilson said something beautifully just like this. He said, the habit is bound up with harnessing the experience of the wind, and the habit enables us to catch the wind. And so what is the habit? And we're going to get to that in a moment. I always find it super helpful in trying to understand anything to do comparisons, opposites. I don't know about you, but I find that super helpful. And so what is the opposite of being filled by the Spirit? Or, or to put it the Bible way, what is the opposite of living life in the Spirit? What it's called is living life in the flesh. And again, water sports imagery is helpful here. Um, so if you went out on a really windy day and you tried these two water sports... Uh, you'll get an idea of what the difference is between living life in the flesh and living life in the spirit. Here we go. The first one is living life in the flesh looks a little bit like rowing. I don't know if you can see that girl's expression on her face. She is pushing hard. Living life in the flesh requires effort. It's a serious strain. It is pushing against the tide, against the wind. I don't know if anyone's done rowing. It's a, a tricky thing. Anyone done rowing here? No one. Okay. I know they speak about catching a crab when your thing goes too low, your thing, and it smashes you in the face. But anyway, the point is, rowing is tough, and it's even worse when you're doing it into the wind. And the, with rowing, you can only go so far before you cramp up and you fatigue and you can't go any further. And so that's kind of like living life in the flesh. It's similar to that. The Bible calls it quenching the Holy Spirit, or neglecting the Holy Spirit, or grieving the Holy Spirit. If you've ever heard that language, that's what life in the flesh is. It's grieving the Holy Spirit, not allowing Him in, not listening to Him, getting distracted by all sorts of other things, choosing to close ourselves off to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to His leading, to His speaking in our lives. Living life in the flesh is going our own way and not His way. And so if we compare that to life in the Spirit, again, sailing is such an incredible image it's that harnessing of the power and the presence of the wind with our rightly positioned sails so that we can cruise through that wind with just minor inputs from the sailor. He's just making sure this is stiff enough. I don't have a lot of sailing, but he's just making sure it's in the correct position so he can catch the wind, and he's just directing it with that little rudder. The beauty of sailing is that you can go on for a long time. As long as that wind is blowing and you've got a little bit of water to keep you going, you can keep going pretty much all day. In fact, they do those transatlantic sailing uh, missions where guys sail for weeks on end. If the wind is blowing, 
you can be going. That rhymed. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that wasn't planned. <laughs> and so here's a definition that Andrew Wilson gives of sailing. He says this, attentive it's attentive responsiveness to an external power. An attentive responsiveness to an external power, which is the wind. Life in the spirit is similar. It's our attentive responsiveness to the external power of the spirit of God. The external presence of the Spirit of God. No sailor would ever claim that the wind comes from himself. But he'd also never go anywhere unless he correctly positions his sail. And so life in the Spirit, I, I hope you're getting it now, <laughs> life in the Spirit involves both an experience to be had and a habit to be cultivated. Do we need to get to know God? Yes, we need to read our Bibles to get to know God. We need to pray to Him. We need to serve Him. We need to worship Him. We need to be quiet before Him. We need to be part of a church. We need to cultivate life-giving habits. But the point is that those are all dead. They are all worth nothing. They are all of no value. They are all a waste of time without the power and the presence of God the Holy Spirit. Reading the Bible is just browsing through a few words on the page until the author of the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, is involved, until he's there, helping us understand what it truly says, convicting us of sin and unrighteousness and helping us to live what it actually says until he is present in the room and in our hearts and minds. It's just words on a page. Singing worship is just making nice sounds into the air. And we sung beautiful songs this morning, but it's just sounds in the air until the one to whom we worship, God the Spirit or God the Father, is here in the room with us, giving joy to our hearts that we cannot explain, making our worship truly as praise and glory to God and not just nice songs that we sing to make us feel better. Praying is just speaking into our hands until the Holy Spirit comes and teaches us how to pray. Until He takes our prayers up to the Father and until He even prays for us. You get it? That's what it means to be filled by and led by the Spirit. It's life empowered by, energized by, given true life by the giver of life, the Holy Spirit. Habits on their own are like an aimless sailboat drifting in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, taking on water without a hope. We need the empowering wind of the Spirit to take us and to lead us so that we'll go anywhere and we won't sink in the middle of the ocean. And so I want to land this section on what it means to be filled by and led by the Spirit with one really important note. We should not box God in. He works in a variety of ways, in incredible ways, way beyond what we could imagine or dream. And so what exactly the experience of the Holy Spirit looks like in our lives will vary from person to person and from day to day. How he works, how he moves will vary. And so we need to be open to his working. It looks so different in each and every life. We ought not to box God into one way or one manner of working. 
If you look at how he's worked throughout the scriptures, it's in incredible and beautiful ways, ways beyond what we would have imagined. And he works the same way in us today as Christ followers. And so let us not box God in. Let's be open to the way the Spirit wants to come and move and work in us. And so let's land uh, this scripture, the last two verses, by looking at what it says, three things um, in the scripture that we can do, and as we do them, we experience God. We experience the Holy Spirit. We make ourselves open to Him. Here we go. Speak to one another with Psalms, verse 19, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so three things here. Share God's goodness with one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs. Do you see how this is a community thing? If we're not in community with other Christians, how on earth are you going to experience the Holy Spirit in this way? You can't. So we need one another. We need church community so we can experience the Holy Spirit as he works in us as we share his goodness with, with, with one another. Second thing, sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. Sing to Jesus. Be filled by him. Not necessarily just as a response to his, his presence or kind of feeling him, but to wake our souls. That's what the psalmist speak about. Awake my soul with as we praise God and as we look to Him and as we sing to Him, we sense Him and His presence comes and fills us and we can adore Him because as we adore Him, He loves to presence Himself where He is being praised. That also kind of rhymes. That's amazing. Okay. So we sing to Jesus and we are filled by the Spirit. And so even as we're singing this morning and we're going to respond in song, as the Scripture tells us, we are open to the Holy Spirit working in us and moving in us and changing us and directing us and commissioning us and doing all sorts of incredible work in us. Third thing, give thanks to God. As we thank Him, we are full. It's that old adage, attitude of gratitude. This is not just some like positive speaking, thinking thing. An attitude of gratitude because thankfulness to God is unending. There is so much we could thank Him for. If we thanked Him for one thing every second for the rest of our lives, we would still need an eternity of life to live, to thank Him for what He's truly worth, our thanks and our praise. And so as we thank God, the Father, in everything, we are filled by the Holy Spirit. You can't truly enjoy something until you've given thanks for it. And so God the Holy Spirit is with us. We're not alone. And God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He is working in us. He's got such incredible plans for us. I can't deny in my own life that a power outside of myself was at work in me before I had any interest in God at all. Fifteen years old, it's on my own mission, my own path, trying all sorts of things to fill the void that we all sense inside. We don't know God. I was trying all sorts of things, the regular things, trying to you know, create a name for myself, reputation, get like success at school and the partying scene and the sport and all this stuff. I was doing this stuff, but I was trying desperately in all of this to fill a hole deep inside. And if I had to confess, nothing worked. Nothing worked. And what I didn't realize at the time is that the Holy Spirit was already at work in me, drawing me to Jesus. I didn't know what that looked like or what that even was, but he was drawing me to Jesus, softening my hard heart, opening my eyes to see what Jesus had done for me and how he loves me and how he made a way for me 
to be brought back to God and to be in relationship with God. He showed me how much God loves me and how much he desires to walk with me. God loves us and he loved me so much that he sent the Holy Spirit to work in me before I had even a care or a thought for God. Didn't want anything to do with God. And it wasn't even like, but for me it wasn't like this deciding I don't want to be with God. I just didn't. Just walking my own journey, trying to figure out life. And the amazing thing is that the Holy Spirit was at work in me, causing me to desire much more than I knew. The reality that I knew, the life that I knew, he caused me to desire more. I wasn't satisfied with what I knew and the experience that I had. And so he used my brother, who had just become a follower of Jesus a few years earlier, to tell me about Jesus, to share the good news with me, to explain to me how Jesus made a way that I can be brought back to God and be in friendship with him, and that deep hole inside can be satisfied forever. So April 2005, I became a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit enabled me to place my faith and trust in Jesus, to place my life in his hands forever. He's at work, the Holy Spirit. He's at work in all of our lives in some measure or manner or another. And he's doing the same work here this morning. He's causing us to look to Jesus, whether we follow him or not. He does that same work this morning drawing us to Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, the Holy Spirit desires to give you the faith to put your trust and your life in the hands of Jesus. The Holy Spirit desires to fill your heart with a sense of love and joy and peace that you will find nowhere else. He is at work in your heart right now. And so when we close this morning, uh, close the meeting this morning, I'm going to give you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to be a, become a follower of him this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to respond, and to become a follower of his like I did 15 years ago, just up the road here in Stellenbosch. Changed my life radically forever for good. And so we close with that simple prayer again. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. It's a prayer of dependence on God, humbly confessing our need for Him. It's a prayer of submission, declaring that we want to do His will and not ours. It's a prayer for guidance, saying, God, direct me. I don't know where to go. Direct me in all my paths. It's a prayer for intimacy, asking for His presence with us because we need Him. We are so alone in life. It's a prayer for his power to overcome sin, to overcome temptation, and to share the good news about Jesus. It's a prayer of surrender to God, saying, come and do your work in my life. And it's a prayer for peace in the ups and downs of life. It's a simple prayer, isn't it? But yet it is so deep and so profound and so wide-reaching in our lives. It's a prayer for his presence, his power, and his peace in our lives. And so my encouragement to you this morning is very practical and very simple. Pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me each day for the next week. When you get up, when you brush your teeth, maybe I don't know what's helpful for you, whatever rhythm works, maybe it's when you're brushing your teeth, just pray those simple words, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. And then during each day this week, as different situations come up, maybe at work or at home or 
uh, the university or wherever it is, and this prayer pops to mind, just pray it, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. And watch how he works in your life. I just imagine what this church would look like if we all lived in that posture each day. If we lived open to the Holy Spirit's work, praying, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. What would our workplaces look like as we walked into meetings or as we took on the new tasks and we prayed, Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me? What would our university or our school look like as we walked into our classrooms or took on our assignments or did our group projects? Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. And then maybe our families or our friendships. Maybe there's some strained relationships or some relationships that need some life brought back into them. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me. Just imagine what these things would look like. And so we're going to respond this morning. Can we stand to our feet together? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm going to ask you to respond and invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and lead you right now. Don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but that's what I'm going to ask you to do. And we're going to do that by praying, but we're also going to do it by, as the scripture said to us this morning, singing and making music from our hearts to the Lord. And I really believe, I really trust that the Spirit will meet with each of us here in some way and empower us and strengthen us, fill us with courage and hope and peace and power for this year, for today and for our lives. And so we're going to sing together. You guys can take it away.